You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan Savage and you're listening to the Savage Lovecast, a once a weekly out loud version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. The number here at the podcast, if you want to record a question for a future podcast, 206-201-2720. And you download the podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. We got a lot of questions. Let's get right to the recordings. Hi, Dan. I have a kind of complicated question. Um, I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Uh, it is about fetishes. Um, I'm 35 and married to a great guy who has a fetish that's really kind of unusual as far as I know. Um, the thing is, it's kind of a complicated one. It requires a lot of uh, pre-planning in order to act on, so we haven't addressed it for a while. Um, his fetish is that he gets off on women getting hit by pies, you know, like in the movies and stuff. Um, when he told me this, we had just started dating. I thought it was strange, but, you know, kind of cute. So what the hell, I, I thought I'd indulge him. But um, I should also say that he had never told any girls about it, really, and, and never really acted on it. In fact, he was a virgin when we started dating in his late 20s, which... I kind of thought it was an extinct species, really, but um, he's totally made up for lost time, do you know, all sorts of things now. He's great in bed. But, but anyway, we've acted on this fetish a couple of times, like maybe, I don't know, five or six or eight total or something like that. And it's been a while in part because it's such a messy fetish. Um, we generally get like, you know, pudding with cream and stuff because I won't do shaving cream because it gets in my face and my contacts and hurts. Um, but we'll put all that stuff on plates. And have like a pie fight, which will end up with us just having like wild sex and recovered and all this stuff. And it's actually kind of fun, but it's terrible to set up and clean up. It's like two hours on each side and, you know, covering things with tarps in our apartment. And it just kills the buzz of it unless I have a couple of hours to surprise him when he doesn't know. Um, but I still always worry about the mess during. And then we put up tarps in our place and it gets places, you know, it gets like in the ceiling and it's hard to clean. Dan, it's crazy. So um, finally, my question is, I live in a major city. And I'm trying to, I'm just wondering if there was some place we could go that wasn't creepy or slimy, but where we could like have a pie site without having to worry about setup or cleanup, you know, like somewhere there'd be I don't, like a, a large tiled room. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems ridiculous, but I thought I'd ask. I thought you might know because it's such a complicated fetish. It's, I mean, it's better to me than like peeing on somebody or something, something seriously violent. I mean, it's very harmless. It's really cute, but I, I just don't know how to execute it. Um, and additionally, can this be called a fetish because we've done it so rarely? I mean, is it something else? Is it just a general kink? Does, it, does the fetish go away or change or, or just alter into something else? I mean, could I help shape his fetish in the future to make it less messy, you know, just to make it easier? Um, and then I guess my final question is, is pudding really bad for someone to get deep into orifices like my vagina? To complicate this further, I'm pregnant right now, and I don't want to get some weird infection, but would like to still act on this fetish soon because it gets even harder to do when there's an infant that we'll have to take care of. So thank you, Dan. You are the best. Hey, Mary, it's Dan, and after listening to your phone message, I just had to speak to you uh, directly (laughs) because it's so rare that you get to meet and speak to somebody who is actually dating the elusive pie fight fetishist. Yeah, I don't think there are very many of them. There aren't many of them, but they're famous. You know, there's pie site fetish uh, websites, and it's one of those fetishes that is is uncommon, but just common enough that, like, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend knows somebody who dated one right. or is one. I had never heard of this before either, so it was brand new to me. And, you know, you had the exact right reaction. When you said, strange but cute, what the hell, I'll indulge him, sounds like he's mm-hmm. a great guy, and yeah. you didn't freak out and run the other direction, which is great. 
So mad props to you. It sounds like you land, are you married to him now or something? Yes. Yes, we're married now. That's great. You did the right thing. You married the honest pie fetishist. Yes. Uh, if you dumped him, as I say in the karmic rule of kink, you would have wound up marrying the dishonest necrophiliac. Right. So I think this is much better. Yeah, it's much better this way. Now, it's funny that you should bring up a tiled room. Uh, because that is ultimately what you need. Hopefully one day you'll be able to buy a house with a nice big uh, cement basement, mm-hmm. and you can then just uh, indulge and hose the place down. Right. Yeah, we actually have joked about that. Like, that would be really, if we had a dream house, we would build a separate little private room that had tile and, like, a drain or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> like there's, there's houses that have them, and, you know, oh, okay. you can... Build a big one and call it a mud room. Just build a big one and get a Great Dane, and everyone will think you just washed the Great Dane down there. Perfect. Um, but if, if you don't have that sort of money, and this is going to sound right. really crazy, I, I knew a, a gay couple that where one of them was a pie fetishist, um, oh. and kind of a similar situation except for the no pregnancy part. Mm-hmm. Um, they inseminated each other like crazy, but nobody got pregnant. Right. They, one of them wound up getting a part-time job in a dog grooming place. Oh. Where yeah, they I had, guess they have... They have big tiled rooms in the dog room. Big tiled rooms with a drain in the floor, and they would sneak in with the keys at night and have a big pie fight and scrub the room down. That um, is funny. That's not possible for everybody. Right. And, right. you know, maybe you could send letters to dog grooming places in Chicago anonymously asking if you could rent them overnight every once in a while. Um, okay. If okay. not, if you don't have the courage to do that, you're just going to have to make the mess at home and clean mm-hmm. the mess up. But, you know, okay. when you have a big logistically problematic fetish, Right. Uh, and lots of people do have fetishes that require a lot of moving of furniture, um, props and costumes. Uh, right. The, the, the deal is, you know, you don't want him to be in despair of because that's going to make him uh, resentful and obnoxious. Um, right. If it's never happening, because logistically right. it's a pain in the ass. Uh, well, but you also don't like- want... Go ahead. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm sort of on occasion feeling like I'm neglecting it because we haven't done that for a while right and, and you are and, but all you need to do instead of like doing it constantly because it's been a while and then right. him like you, him wondering if it's ever going to happen again and you starting to feel guilty you need to set dates where you're like you mark it on the calendar and say you know what your big complicated fetish this weekend is all about your big complicated fetish and that weekend can be four months out okay just so he, he knows it's like anticipating a vacation he knows it's coming so he's not going to stress out too much about how much work he's doing you know about a vacation if he knows that like oh you know you know, it's, what is September something now? November 28th, Thanksgiving weekend, after we get home, we're just going to, like, the whole weekend, we're going to move everything, cover it all, tarps, and not clean up till Sunday, and spend two whole fucking days doing this nut, nutty shit that I love. He will live in hope and won't despair or become resentful or angry or anything. That sounds really great. Because it does, it takes forever to set up and to break it down and to... I mean, it just seems like an event that is so. It is an long event. In preparation. It is an event. It's a fucking ball. Yeah. You know. And that's that's a, how the, he wants it to be. It's so I want to try to do that, but. Right. So he, you have to meet. He has to meet you halfway. He has to acknowledge okay. that his his fetish is hugely complicated and requires a lot of logistical planning and setup and breakdown, and therefore it can happen three times a week. Right. It can right. probably can't happen more than three times a year. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's we've been doing that schedule or less. I would say. So it would be nice to be able to, you know, tell him that we this is something that we could do or, you know, there, there's no logistical problem with it. So I think it's something that you should at least do quarterly. Okay. I think he yeah. should get his big fetish extravaganza once every quarter, once every okay. three months, once a season, 
it should happen for him. Okay. Sounds good. Because if it's coming around every 12 weeks, that's not too long amount of time to wait. No, yeah, I think I think that's good. So I will suggest that for sure. As for putting in your vagina? Yes. Uh, I'm not a doctor, but that just sounds like a bad idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like you might get a... Back to you know a uh, UTI or something, um, but it probably isn't that bad. Okay. I mean, if you're packing pudding up into your vaginal canal, I would say that just sounds like a bad idea. Right. Um, but if you're just getting pudding on your vagina because they're throwing pies around you, he can't yeah. hit you in the crotch with a pie hard enough to get it into your uterus or anything. Right. That's, yeah, it's usually just accidental, I think, more than anything else. So. I don't think Bill Cosby would approve, but I don't think you're going to do yourself any serious harm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So. Um, but then you bring up shaping his fetish? Yes, I just didn't know because he doesn't, he's not very aggressive about asking about it, and so I didn't know what qualified a fetish over just a kink. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, a fetish technically is being sexually aroused by an inanimate object. Like if he was into uh, high heels and a woman didn't even have to be in them, they just had to have a high heel in the room and he threw a boner, um, mm-hmm. and then throwing a woman into those high heels is, you know, extra credit. Okay. That's a fetish. Uh, a kink, uh, you know, is something that's like, you know, we're going to do this thing together. You know, it can be anything from, you know, she ties me up and fucks me to titty fucking. Like, just, a kink is something crazy that somebody really loves, but usually involves the other person in a physical, animated way. Okay. Um, he's got a fetish or a kink. You know, the terms are sort of loosely applied. Um, it's not going to go anywhere, and you can't redirect it. Right. Um, the only thing you can do with a kink like that is manage it <laughs> and, and, and enjoy it and have fun. Right. You know, there's worse well, I, things. I didn't want to minimize it if that was all you know he wanted. I didn't want to change it for the sake of changing it. I was thinking more it would be more practical if I could, you know, because of all the setup and breakdown that happens. So well, if I... You know, if that's not possible, that's fine. With what me. I would suggest, mm-hmm. you know, in between the quarterly... Uh, extravapigansas, is if you think about what, you know, a fetish is usually an expression of some inner emotional erotic dynamic, blah, 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 who put a nickel in me, such fancy words. Um, and if you sometimes if you back up and think about, like, what's being expressed, you know, in this fetish, you know, what is the, what are the emotional dynamics, what are the erotic uh, dynamics, what's going on in your imagination, what does this mean, as opposed to just what are we doing? And, you know, part of what, you know, when people who are into wet and messy fetishes, people who are into food and goop fetish, which is where this kind of comes from, it's about surprise, it's about shock, it's also, in a small, like, upbeat, friendly way, about dominance and humiliation. Mm-hmm. You know, you are hitting each other. Yes. You're just doing it in this sort of, like, comic, exaggerated way. Right. And, you know, somebody who's into a pie fetish... Which seems like a really, you know, he was a virgin when you met him. Yes. And so he probably hadn't acted on this, and he's sort of obsessed about it all these years. He may right. be able to derive some similar thrills just from, you know, smashing cupcakes in each other's faces, something that's more easily contained. Okay. So you might want to experiment with other kinds of, like, wet and messy, goopy food and smashing of cake and faces and things like that, where it's basically the same splat, or the same... The, you know, the same act with a whole lot less splatter. Okay. Yeah, because that might be a way to uh, to keep it, you know, to make to do it more often too. Right, just to keep him, you know, to to, to keep him uh, satisfied and aware that you know his fetish is on the plate and on the table, even between you know in the eleven weeks between the big extravaganzas. 
you know, have a cupcake fight one night. See if that does it for him. You won't have to yeah. cover everything up in the whole house then. Oh, that's good. And I, I like cupcakes, so. <laughs> I do, too. I'm going to come over to your house and make the tarp when you're done. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dan. Sure thing. Okay. Bye. I just want to pause before we go to the next call and and draw everyone's attention to what this woman did. It's so remarkable. I wish it wasn't remarkable. I wish this was common. She met a guy, sounds like a great guy, a virgin, no less, how uh, rare and in demand are those these days, who had a fucking fucked up crazy fetish that in most cases would prompt someone to laugh and run the other way and run off and tell their friends about this total freak they met with this totally fucked up fetish who they you know ran from, wouldn't sleep with, wouldn't even consider dating. And what did this woman get by having the right reaction, which was, hey, strange but cute, I could maybe get into that, what the hell, I'll indulge him, as she said. She got a husband. Sounds like she's about to have a kid. Sounds like they're terribly happy together. All because she could look at his fetish as part of the whole package and not this deal breaker. And it is a harmless fetish. Now, he didn't say, oh, I'm into crapping in women's mouths. I'm into amputees. Can I take your arm off? It was, I'm just into pies. And I've heard from people who've been asked to do that or lesser things who've dumped the person over it. You know what? Dumping somebody for a harmless run-of-the-mill even if slightly ridiculous kink that you don't think you're going to be able to keep a straight face uh, while you're engaging in is a stupid fucking thing to do. So I just want to like call Mary out and say, uh, good job, Mary. Good going, Mary. Congratulations on the husband, Mary. Congratulations on the kids, Mary. Kid first, kids maybe. And uh, here's hoping that one day you guys have a big house with a nice tiled rec room where you can fucking slam pies into each other's faces to your heart's content. Hi, Dan. I have a short, quick technical question for you. Um, I'm a 21-year-old straight male with a Prince Albert genital piercing, and I've only been with two girls in the last year, so I can't really, I don't really have an idea of how kinky this may or may not be. I mean, one girl, the first girl, kind of got freaked out with it because I told her too early. As you said, you know, usually you only want to tell when they need to know. The second girl is my current girlfriend, and I followed that rule, and it's worked out pretty well. But just as a qualitative measure of how kinky this may or may not be, I was wondering if you could uh, say something about that. Um, you know, is it as kinky as, say, you know, buttless chaps or pegging or whatever? Before I give you a little bit of advice, uh, I want to define PA or Prince Albert out there for everyone who uh, doesn't know what that means. Uh, Prince Albert piercing is a ring that goes um, in through the piss slit. What a lovely name for the opening at the end of a man's penis. His piss slit. Uh, goes in through the pistol and out a newly created hole like an inch up, an inch down the deck in the urethra. Uh, so when you go to the piercer, he puts the hole in your urethra by shoving a needle into your pistol and out through the bottom of the urethra and then puts a ring in. Prince Albert. Name for Prince Albert. Uh, the uh, Prince Consort, wife of Queen Elizabeth, or pardon me, Queen Victoria. Uh, you know, Victoria of the Victorians, eminent and otherwise. Uh, theoretically, I guess, because he had a big floppy foreskin and she didn't like it, so that he had a big ring put in to hold his foreskin back. This is all uh, unsubstantiated because the uh, royal family isn't coming clean about Prince Albert's foreskin, even today. Scandal. Anyway, uh, how kinky is it for a 21-year-old to have a PA? Well, that depends on the 21-year-old, depends on the circumstances, depends on the girls <laughs> you're drawing your uh, prospective partners from. Clearly, the girl you told who ran screaming in the other direction was uh it was too kinky for her too crazy for her uh could have been worse could have been a pie fetish but uh it's not too kinky for me i've dated guys with pas that didn't send me running in the opposite direction you by self-selecting to be the kind of guy who's going to have a pa has you've self-selected to be the kind of guy who's going to have to explain that choice and that piercing to all the women you date 
for the rest of your fucking life. And one day to your kids, if you leave it in after you have kids. Uh, and then, you know, if you take it out, you have to explain to your kids why daddy pees in two directions. So uh, you can't really complain about it. Uh, there's a lot, you know, piercings are much more common these days. Tons of people have nipple piercings. Tons of people have crazy septum piercings. Uh, genital piercings, however, seem to be for some people, uh, you know, a, a piercing too far. That seems to be, that seems to cross some line for a lot of people because they read into you and your character and who you are and the sexual demands you may make and, you know, the depths of your potential depravity if you have a genital piercing. And if you, if that's it, if that's the extent of your cake, you're just going to have to reassure the girls that you're with that, you know, you're not expecting them to get piercings or get, you know, clitoral hood piercings or anything else. And you're not going to be bringing livestock into the bedroom or anything. If that's true, if that's just it, you just did it because you like it because you think it's cool because you like how it looks, you like how it feels. Um, you just have to open your mouth and, uh, talk about it. It's a good way to talk about uh, sex. To t- it's a good conversation starter where you can talk about pleasure and bodies and choices and uh, what you've done with your body and what you'd like to do with hers. Um, so I wouldn't regard it too much as a cross to bear. It's really an opportunity. Hey, Dan. Um, my name is Joshua, and I'll, I'll just um, say the question first. Um, how do you rekindle a spark in a marriage that is about eight years into it? I'll give you a little history to it. Say, um, me and my wife have been together for about 10 years, been married for about eight. I'm 35 and she's 53, and she has absolutely no sex drive. We haven't had sex for about six to eight months. For the past two months, I've been basically fucking around. So um, I don't really feel that bad about it. Because I'm a, kind of a realist, so guys fuck around a lot anyway. So um, if you can give me any kind of advice on how to basically <laughs> bring me back to my wife and how to get her interested in sex again, because I'm definitely still interested in sex. I am basically a vanilla guy, and I'm kind of curious how to get into uh, more, um, like as you've said before, more varsity kind of things this is a tough one um because i want to speak out of both sides of my mouth um with my big gay forked tongue uh so i can do it simultaneously Uh, you know your wife she's 53 years old perhaps she's menopausal um perhaps she you know one of the things that goes on during menopause is all sorts of uh, radical changes in hormone levels which can totally impact a woman's sex drive uh, you know, maybe perhaps she's depressed too. Um, perhaps you guys have a really dysfunctional relationship. There's a lot I may not know about what's going on, but it doesn't sound like you guys are talking to each other about this problem. It doesn't sound like you guys uh, have acknowledged that there maybe even is a problem. And I'm just reading this in cause you don't mention having talked. Seems like if you had talked, you would mention it. Um, and so you need to ha- start having an honest conversation with your wife and say, you know, we're not having sex anymore. What's up with you? I still have a sex drive, uh, but you might not want to use the little turn of phrase, what's up with you, because it's kind of confrontational. What's up with us, honey? Use I statements and we statements. Um, and so, you know, this is something, you know, if you're honestly and sincerely, you'd like to still be having sex there, you should just say that. Um, you know, she could be depressed. She could have a hormonal imbalance. She should go get her hormone levels checked, get her testosterone level checked. Um, you know, maybe she just needs to be invited back into the bedroom uh, and invited back to uh, sex by you personally and explicitly uh, because, you know, she's also getting older and you're still very young, uh, 10 years. So you, she was 43 and you were 25 when you met. 
Perhaps she's feeling like she's too old for you now. If that's not the case, if you're still attracted to her and still love her, maybe she just needs to hear that and hear it resoundingly and loudly and clearly. Maybe you need to hammer away at that for a while uh, to get her back in the groove. It also could be that she's done with sex. Uh, some people, particularly women, um, and it's an incendiary thing to say, but studies bear it out, uh, lose interest in sex as they age. Uh, and a woman who's much older uh, than her husband, that can be hugely problematic. If she's losing interest in sex and has no desire to work on uh, rekindling an interest in sex uh, and you stay together, she kind of needs to give you explicit or implicit permission to get your needs met elsewhere. Um, it sounds like you're already doing that, uh, which you may or may not want to tell her about. Um, there are some things that I think a uh, spouse has a right not to know. Uh, this may be one of those things, as long as you're not putting her at any risk now. But uh, so blah, blah, blah. Talk to the wife. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to the podcast listeners. Talk to the wife. Uh, as for moving from vanilla sex to varsity sex, that's not really something you can just kind of fake. But that might be something you mo could bring up with the wife. If you're entering a phase where you want to try a whole bunch of new and different things, uh, it could be that after 10 years, your wife is just bored. Women get bored too. Uh, perhaps if you march in there and say, our sex life is ground to a halt and I want to get it going again, I want to start doing some of the things that I've heard about and read about other people doing to see if that doesn't get us back in the saddle, um, perhaps literally in a saddle. And then see where that takes you. See that where that takes her. Um, you may be able to stay together all your life. Uh, there's plenty of people who stay married uh, out of love, devotion, and economic interdependence because um, they have family, because they have children. And the sex becomes less and less important or the sex that bound them together at first fades away and they open the relationship up. It's best, I think, when that opening is honest and acknowledged. Uh, it's also best when... The opening uh, is, you know, any outside encounters are conducted in such a way that the other person, the person you married, still feels like they're number one and they come first um, and that you're not auditioning new wives and you're not uh, testing the waters uh, for renewed singlehood, but you're committed to her and you want to be with her and you want to be there and love her and you're going to get these needs that she's not willing to meet anymore met elsewhere in a respectful uh, way where you're respectful of her primacy in your life, also respectful of the women that you may sleep with on the side and so that you don't lead them on, uh, or, you know, tell them, but you get a divorce and you don't have any plans to get a divorce. So you can totally work this out, whether or not the sex returns, whether or not you uh, have a sexual relationship with your wife in the future. Um, you can stay married if you're still in love, um, or with some effort and some honest, open conversations, perhaps you can revive the sex life with the wife. So, uh, blah, 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 spinning my wheels, repeating myself. Go talk to her. Hey, Dan, you are freaking awesome. Hey, I have a simple question, so I won't take up a whole lot of your time. I've read your column, I listened to your Lovecast, and you use the term pre-cum occasionally. So I'd like to know, what is pre-cum? I've had a penis all my life, and to my knowledge, only two things come out of it, urine and semen. So what exactly is pre-cum, and is it disgusting enough to name after some shitbag politician? Okay, thanks, and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye. What is pre-cum, besides delicious, besides a palate cleanser? Uh, pre-cum is a lubricating fluid, also known as Cowper's fluid, and I'm reading from the Wikipedia definition right now. It's not that hard, this Wikipedia thing and Google. is a clear lubricating fluid that is issued from a man's penis when he becomes aroused. 
So it's not just women that produce lubrication uh, to you to, to make sex uh, easier and more possible, unless ripping and damaging and shredding and chafing, but also men. Men uh, produce pre-ejaculate, uh, which is a lubricating fluid. No, it's all good. Um, some men pre-cum a lot. Some men pre-cum very little or not noticeably at all. Your pre-cum may just lube up um, your urethra so that when you ejaculate, uh, the force of your... Uh, the contractions that send your sperm and uh, ejaculate fluid shooting out of you is sort of hurried along the way. So it doesn't get stuck along your, uh, uh, you know, glued to the sides of your urethra. It goes shooting across the room. It's a ceiling. Your pre-ejaculate, your uh, pre-cum helps make that happen. Um, but, you know, to conclude, it's uh, delicious. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the call from Jason last week the 27-year-old gay guy who wanted to come out to his family and friends but didn't know how, especially since his parents are evangelical Christians. My heart went out to him. I'm a 50-year-old Catholic mom. My husband and I have three sons. Our youngest son is gay. He came out to us when he was 15, and now he's 18. He came out by writing us a letter and pushing it under our door one night. We woke up and read the letter, which pretty much confirmed what we already knew. We had the sense we were jumping off a cliff and had no idea where we were falling to, but we immediately met him at the breakfast table and gave him big hugs. We realized he was the same wonderful son he had been before we read the letter, and we felt honored that he trusted our love enough to share this with us. Things were rocky for a while as he experimented with what it meant to be gay, and we prayed and read many books about what it meant to have a gay child. I wanted to recommend two resources for Jason. The first is PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Go to their website at pflag.org and click on Get Support. Jason can read about how other people came out and, and get in touch with people in his area. As the mother of a gay son, I found PFLAG to be of immense help. They recommended books to read. In fact, I first heard about you, Dan, when they recommended your book, The Kid. They put me in touch with other families, and PFLAG's materials were amazingly in touch with what I was going through as a mom. The second resource is one of the many books I read, No More Goodbyes, by Carolyn Pearson. Her website is clpearson.com. Carolyn is a Mormon who was married to a gay man. She cared for him as he died of AIDS and now considers it her God-given mission to educate people about our calling to love our children. The book compiles the stories of 30 or 40 families and is written from a religious perspective that will probably resonate with Jason's mother. The introduction says, the central message is, we can't allow what is happening to homosexuals in our ch churches to continue. We can't accept one more disowned child, one more failed homosexual heterosexual marriage, one more suicide. We can't accept one more goodbye. It's a terrific book and it may really help. Anyway, Dan, thanks a lot for your column and your podcast. You help a lot of people. So just uh, to all the people out there listening who insist uh, that I'm a heartless motherfucking son of a bitch, your call brought tears to my eyes. I'm sitting here feeling all weepy and choked up. Um, how lucky for your son uh, to have uh, a mom and a dad like you guys. A lot of gay guys don't. A lot of lesbians don't. A lot of bisexuals don't. A lot of transgenders don't. Um, so uh, on behalf of uh, gays and lesbians everywhere who when we hear stories like yours, we're tremendously moved. It moves me so much. And I have wonderfully accepting Catholic parents too. Um, and yet I've heard so many horror stories about abused and neglected 
uh, and really traumatized uh, sexual minorities, gays and lesbians, who were just so brutalized by their families uh, when they came out to them that uh, it's just hard not to to get weepy when you hear about a family that does really the right thing, really the thing that every family ought to do, particularly religious families, if they believe um, stuff the Bible has to say about uh, family and the stuff, uh, you know, Jesus had to say, although Jesus said to leave your family behind and follow him and reject your father and mother. Anyway, let's not dwell on what Jesus had to say about anything. Um, I recommend the the things you recommend, the books you recommended, the website you recommended. PFLAG is a wonderful organization. Uh, and I urge Jason, uh, when I talked to him privately after the, after the recording last week to get in touch, uh, with PFLAG and to come out to his parents, uh, sooner rather than later. But again, thank you so much for the call. Uh, Sometimes when I hear that 50-year-old Catholic moms are listening to my show, it makes me a little self-conscious about the language I use and the things we talk about. Uh, but I don't want to stereotype 50-year-old Catholic moms because uh, a lot of 50-year-old Catholic moms are uh, totally hip, as you are. Um, and cl- clearly you uh, prepared your remarks very carefully uh, and, and, uh, and read them so well and so movingly. I want to thank you so much for the call. And now back to the regular old shit. Hi, Dan. I just listened to your last two podcasts. And wow, I think I'm the other seven-year-old girl that the woman who called in a couple podcasts ago was playing BDSM games with when we were kids. Either that or there were two pairs of seven-year-old girls playing the same games and discovered by my mom or someone's mom in the exact same way. Maybe it happens more often than we think. Like the other caller, I also half forgot about it for a while, although not in a repressed memory sort of way. And then I turned my attention to it again after I got grown up enough that I started to try to sort of figure out the narrative of my sexual history. I don't feel that by either, although I can still summon up a little bit of shame of being caught by the mom. I think it's pretty interesting to note that, as I recall it, there was an appropriate, if I guess ironic, innocence to our play. We weren't really clear on how intercourse worked, so we mostly just kissed and fondled each other's butts along with pretending to tie each other up and then we would torture or rescue each other. It was truly kind of a kid game. Um, these days I'm identifying as queer. I listen to your fagging out episode with a lot of kind of personal interest. Being gay can be so hard and so much of the sex stuff is really difficult to be frank about, especially when you're just starting out. I wanted to tell you that I was moved by how personal and straightforward and compassionate your answers were. And I wanted to thank you for that. That's all. Bye. Uh, I I just want to second something you said about this may be more common than we think. You know, children feel uh, really acutely their powerlessness. And the culture and the media and the stories we create for and tell to children are full of, you know, damsels in distress and people in peril and people being kidnapped and rescued. Um, so there's a lot of like bondage games and, and crazy stuff that when we look at it with adult eyes, the children engage in, we look at it with adult eyes and see uh, kink because the only people who do those sorts of games as adults are kinksters. Um, so I think what you and your uh, little playmate were doing and how hilarious that the podcast should reunite you with your old playmate like this uh, was, was, was wholly innocent. However, uh, it may have appeared to the mom who walked in and filled you both with shame about it. So hopefully you've both let go of it. Hopefully you've embraced whatever uh, part of your sexuality feels tarnished by that, you know, moment of discovery and the trauma of it. Because you really have a right to it. You have a right to your sexuality, whatever your long-lost playmates uh, 
dumb fuck mother thinks about it. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm just calling in because right now I'm just sitting around and I'm wondering why I don't have somebody in my life, a boyfriend or something, because it seems like a lot of my friends and I are really just really nice, pretty girls who don't really have super stringent measures that we take before finding a boyfriend. I mean, our lists really aren't that long. We just want someone nice and caring, but it seems like a lot of guys out there aren't really up to the task. I mean, they don't even need to be caring. We're kind of, we're pretty easy, you know, but... I don't know. It seems like so many guys out there just really don't want to be in relationships or aren't taking the time to try, or they need to grow some balls or something. Hey, Laura, it's Dan. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I just got your call about uh, why men suck, and you don't have someone in your life, and you're a nice girl, and you and your friends are having a hard time landing boys who are interested in a commitment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. How old are you? Twenty. 20. Yeah. You're 20. I just had my birthday last week, yeah. I think you might have unrealistic expectations of boys your own age. <laughs> well, you say they're not ready to settle down. You know what? They're not. And, I, and, seem... and you're probably not either. Yeah, well, I don't know. It just seems like there really aren't a lot of boys out there to even date and stuff. Well, there, there are plenty yeah. of boys. There's a, you have way more straight boys out there to date than I have gay boys. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. 97% of all men are straight. But, I mean, have you had boyfriends before and things just haven't worked out? Um, yeah. I, I moved back. I moved to a different town, and it seems like this town may it's pretty small. Well, it's not really small. It's just pretty boring. How long, you know? have, you, how long have you lived there? Oh, a year now. Okay, so you're having a hard time worming your way into the, the yeah. scene. Or... I I moved here because I broke up with a boyfriend, I guess, but, mm. yeah. <laughs> so. And in that year, in those 12 short months since breaking up with that boyfriend and that breakup being so uh, traumatic that you had to flee to a whole other city, you haven't found the man you're going to marry and be with for the rest of your life, and so you're annoyed. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> what I'm looking for. Well, that's what it sounds like you're looking for. I mean, yeah. you sound like a you know a 35-year-old woman complaining about male fear of intimacy and commitment because your clock is ticking. And I just wanted to call you and scream at you and say, you're 20 years old, and yeah. your clock ain't ticking yet. And you should enjoy being single while you're single. Enjoy your <laughs> friendships. Uh, it sounds like you have girlfriends that you talk with about these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Who are in yeah. the same boat that you're in. Yes, yes. And you should enjoy um, them, enjoy your time together, go out on the town, you will meet guys, you have vaginas, guys are like fucking moths to the vagina flame, dick moths to the <laughs> vagina flame, they will come after you, whether you like it or not, usually, and mostly you won't like it, with most guys, right? Yeah. And you should just relax, take a deep breath, this is the time in your life that you want to be single. Would you rather be single um, at 20 or single at 40? That's true. Or 50 I never or 60. really thought about it that way. You know, you I, need to enjoy. Was, you need to enjoy being single for a while. You you just got out of high school. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and you're complete. You're complete as a single person, as an individual, as a woman. You don't need somebody else. You want somebody else, but you don't need somebody else right now or ever. 
Yeah, I guess that's sort of the problem that I've been having, you know. It's hard to look at yourself as single and complete and stuff, you know, because well, you better start. That's just the connotation. <laughs> well, stop worrying about what the culture tells you. know, there's a lot of shit out there in the culture. Turn off the TV. Stop looking at TV commercials. Stop reading magazines. Uh, you know, stop consuming media that tells you you're incomplete unless you have a partner. You're incomplete unless you're <laughs> dating. You're complete. And you can fucking have fun, and you can run around and enjoy being 20. Join a gym. Get out of that fucking house. Buy a bike. Run around. Get a posse of women together that you enjoy hanging with and enjoy. And if you're having fun and you're out there, you'll accidentally happen across dudes. You'll meet guys. And you know what? None of your relationships are going to work out until one does. They're all going to fail until one doesn't. And you won't know which one that is until you're like, holy shit, here we are. X many years later, and you're still around, and I'm still fond of you. But you can't judge every relationship that's coming by how many have you had? Not many. You're 20 fucking years old. You can't judge everything coming and every guy coming down the pike that you're going to meet by a failed high school relationship. You have to have an open heart, or nobody's going to be able to get in, right? Yeah. So you can, you're 20 years old. You're too young for this cynicism about the way men are, what men want, what men don't want, and men suck, and guys don't want to be in a relationship. You know, a lot of them don't at 20, and good thing, too, because none of them are <laughs> – usually guys aren't ready at 20. Look at the stats. People who marry in their late teens, early 20s, divorce in their late teens, mid-20s. You want that? No. Uh <laughs> Get some Depro Provera pounded under your skin. Have some fun. <laughs> date. Don't get pregnant. Meet some nice <laughs> boys. Realize that you'll have relationships with boys that don't work out, and you'll part ways, and they're still nice boys. Just because a relationship doesn't work out doesn't mean there's something wrong with that guy. Just like you guys weren't right for each other. Nothing wrong with him. You know, some of my okay. best friends are ex-boyfriends. Because it didn't work out for us as boyfriends, as lovers, but we still, you know... We like each other. That's why we were attached in the first place, right? Yeah. Like, so you need to you need to like not be so hard on the guys that you date that it doesn't work out with. Not judge all the men coming your way by the failures of the men that you've put behind you romantically. And enjoy being fucking twenty years old and single in a new city. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! I've been you know I have what you want. I'm in a long term relationship. I have this dude. He totally loves me. We're totally complete. Somebody, you know, I have somebody to forget to buy something for on Valentine's Day every year, right? <laughs> and sometimes I just wish I was 20 fucking years old and living in a new town and single. <laughs> just for three months. I yeah. totally trade places with you for three months. You can have my boyfriend who <laughs> we've been together. We're so intimate and connected and bonded that he farts in front of me indiscriminately without a thought. You can have that for three months, and I'll be a 20-year-old single chick in a new town for three months. Is it a deal? Um, I think you might have convinced me. <laughs> convinced you not to trade places with me? Yeah, I oh, okay. guess so. Oh. Well, thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Buck the fuck up. And you know what? Yeah. No more. If you, if you and your girlfriends are getting together and having these, like, vo-ist-mir pity parties where all you do is bitch about the fact that you're single... Is that what you're doing with your girlfriends? One of my girlfriends loves you. She adores your show. Uh-huh. And actually, she's actually gotten some to call in. She got her mother to call in. But um, 
I, it turned into a pity party, and she said, call Dan. So. Okay, no fucking pity parties. No, no pity fucking party. pity party. No, like, crying into mint chocolate chip ice cream about there not being any dudes in your apartment with one other girlfriend or two other girlfriends. You know what? <laughs> if you're in your apartment with a couple of girlfriends and you guys start to get mopey because there are no dudes, leave the fucking apartment. The only thing you know for sure about your apartment is there are no dudes in your fucking apartment, so don't bemoan the fact that there are no dudes in your fucking apartment in your fucking apartment. <laughs> get dressed, all yous, go out to where the dudes fucking are, wherever they are. <laughs> And have some fucking fun. You're 20. I'm so fucking jealous. Okay? Uh, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. No more boat, no more pity party, no more slamming at all dudes everywhere. All right. Okay, promise. Like, what dude, what, I'm not, no, I'm not, you keep trying to get off the phone. I'm not letting you off the phone because I am not done with you yet. What guy is going to want to date a girl who's, like, got her arms folded in front of her chest and goes, all men suck? That's my position on men. You suck. Date me. I hope I don't come off that badly. Well, that's kind of well. You didn't. You actually don't come off that bad way. I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> you were like generalizing in really broad ways. From it sounds to me like not that much experience with guys at 20. No. You're not I Mata Hari. Maybe I just run across a couple creepers, you know. Well, yeah, you're going to run across a couple of creepers. I have a couple of ex-boyfriends that are really good friends, and I have a lot more ex-boyfriends that I would cross the street if I saw coming. That's part of the price of admission. Being a sexually active, romantically active adult. Like, you're going to date some clunkers. And you get rid of them, and you move on, and you look at the next one and go, hope you're not a clunker. You don't look at the next one and go, you're a clunker, until proven (laughs) otherwise. Each new person that you date is innocent until proven guilty. Nobody wants to date somebody who looks at them like, dude, bad, you're a bad dude, you're a guy, all guys are shit. Nothing ever works out with guys. Date me! Like, why don't any guys subject themselves to that? Oh, (laughs) Yeah, I should have, yeah, I need to work on a positive, more positive outlook for guys, I guess. Well, you don't have to be, you don't have to be falsely upbeat or naive. Like, there are guys, you know, you shouldn't, like, run down the street, skip down the street, like, nothing bad could ever happen to you because all men are nice. You need to be skeptical, but you can't be sour or bitter at 20. You're not allowed to be bitter at fucking 20. (laughs) You haven't earned the right to be bitter at fucking 20. (laughs) Check back with me in 15 years, and I'll tell you whether you have the right to be better. Okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. We have a few emails for people, uh, from people for uh, previous callers to the podcast with some uh, extra special reader-generated advice or listener-generated advice. Uh, we got an email here from JNS who has some suggestions for the caller who was having problems with urinary tract infections after uh, their marathon sex bouts. And uh, they say, Dear caller, I've been suffering from recurrent severe UTIs for five years. While I still get them occasionally, I found a number of strategies which have drastically reduced the frequency of my UTIs. Some of these are from my doctors, some are the advice of other UTI sufferers, and some I simply figured out on my own. She takes a cranberry supplement every day. It's called Theracran, which sounds disgusting. Um, while expensive, she writes, it's the best out there. It's the only cranberry supplement tested by an independent company, company for efficiency. Uh, she wears only cotton underwear or no underwear at all. Synthetics and thongs are a bad idea. I think we can all take that to heart. Dudes, whether you've had a urinary tract infection or not, thongs, always a bad idea. Before and after sex, clean off the genital area with a mild soap. Showers are best, uh, but at the least, a washcloth. When you sleep, especially after rough sex, try to leave some space between your legs to let some airflow happen in the area. Drink lots of water before and after sex. 
Urinate immediately after sex whenever possible. Try to make sure your bladder is completely empty after you urinate. And make sure at all times to wipe front to back. Alcohol, especially excessive drinking, can irritate the bladder and make infection more likely. If you really want to drink, think about trying vodka and cranberry juice. Um, The extra cranberry can't hurt. Uh, And despite Dan Savage's advice, anal sex is generally not a good solution. And I meant that, of course, in all sincerity, just to forego vaginal intercourse forever. Um, The cross-contamination of bacteria, which inevitably occurs, is very likely to cause an infection. And don't ever go from anal to vaginal without sandblasting his dick thoroughly. Worst case scenario, if this continues, see a urologist. There are low-dose antibiotics, which you can be put on regularly to keep the problem to a minimum. Nitrofuritonium, for example, is what I'm on. Hope this helps. Thanks for the long email, S. I'm sure that will help. Uh, We got an email from Sue about a caller last week whose uh, boyfriend blamed all this, all his sex problems and all his sexual limitations on past girlfriends who all seem to be castrating bitches. And Sue writes, just listen to the last segment of the last podcast. Thank you. I work for a domestic violence project. You could not be more right about the lovely young woman's misogynistic asshole of a boyfriend. If a man doesn't have a good word to say about any of the other women he's been with, back away slowly. Uh, I disagree, Sue. I think you should turn and run away quickly. And uh, finally, an email from John. This is in regards to a recent love cast where you were ambivalent about cock and bad breath. Gum works not by sweetening the flavor of the mouth, says John, but by stimulating the saliva glands. A wet mouth is less conducive to bad smells. Ergo, if sucking cock produces saliva, it is actually good for your breath. So if you're on a date and you don't have a mint, just go down on him. Problem solved. Thanks for the emails. Uh, This concludes this week's installment of the podcast. Uh, the number here, 206-201-2720. you want to record a question for a future podcast, dial that number. Leave your name and a callback number in case we want to uh, follow up with you. You download the podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. That number, once again, 206-201-2720. And uh, me and the at-risk youth here at the Savage Lovecast will be back next week with another installment.